These days, I don't think any contract or any agreement that is put on paper is not amendable. It's really just a starting point. My name's Mike Lander, and you're listening to Marketing Negotiations, the good, the bad, and the ugly, in partnership with The Drum, where we bring you negotiation insights from CMOs, agency leaders, and acclaimed authors. Steph, welcome to The Drum's Marketing Negotiations podcast. Thanks ever so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to chat negotiations. Exactly. All things negotiation. And we've been emailing backwards and forwards about the topic as well, because it's something that we not only, I think, share as an interest, but obviously day-to-day, like me, you're involved in negotiations with clients. So do you want to explain a bit about kind of who you are, uh, the role you've got, your background, and then anything just slightly different about kind of what you've done in your life or career? Sure. Um, My name is Steph. I'm the Managing Director of the West Coast and West Coast Operations for an agency here in the U.S. called Hook, a small agency of 2020 award winner and best place to work of 2022. Fantastic. Uh, And I manage uh, the agency. I'm about 55 people under my watch and about 50 people on the East Coast watch, so totaling about 110, 115 across the board. Okay. Um, and something different or interesting about me, uh, like we were we were saying, um, I yeah. uh, am a mother, soon to be a mother of four. So if I'm breathing hard into the mic, it's because I'm nine and a half months pregnant, and uh, have three kids already. So uh, I'm just. So if the recording stops, I do hope there's someone at home with you. I'll yeah, know- <laughs> I'll, I'll give like a, a signal if uh, is the. F- Burst on a podcast. I'll, I'll Ten second know. warning would be great before you give birth. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, I appreciate. I appreciate uh, the time and and getting to getting to do this with you before I head out on parental leave. Now I'm really looking forward to it. So uh, let's get into the first kind of question. We had a kind of couple of questions that we'd so we broadly discuss. So kind of the first ones around. You know, obviously you're a very experienced commercial negotiator. Um, you've adopted a few core principles about how you approach negotiation. Do you want to just talk about what they are and how and why they are the principles that they are? Sure. And I think uh, like some of your other guests have mentioned too, it changes. A lot of it changes, you know, based on the negotiation, what the actual uh, terms of the deals are, who you're negotiating with. But yeah. in general, I approach most of the the, the negotiations that I'm tasked with, uh, with transparency, with candor, with openness and directness, um, and that my my leading philosophy is as as an agency, I am always trying to figure out what the motivation, what the true motivation is of the individual that I'm um, negotiating with, as well as uh, their organization. Um, and that's to explore that means, Steph. So, just again for people that are listening, um, you know, we talk about people making demands um, in negotiations. But the critical thing is, what are their motivations? How how do you describe a motivation in reality in a negotiation? What what are you looking for? Yeah, I think there's uh, there's a couple of different things. There's the there's the what's on paper, what you've told me you want, right? Like there, you need 
this set of deliverables. You need this business outcome. You have this marketing challenge. There's, there's that. So that is definitely a motivator. But then there's also uh, my new business director does this incredible thing whenever uh, a new new opportunity comes across um, our inbound pipeline. And she researches who the people are and gives me a quick de- description of who, who I'm talking to, what their role is, how they us. And that is very helpful for me because it, get, it also gives me a sense of not only what they're putting on paper, but who they are within their organization, what could potentially be their extrinsic motivations. Are they looking for a promotion? Are they looking to really shine amongst others? Are they really just looking to get this done and get it uh, you know, out of their hair. Um, and then that, so that, that's on the individual side. And then the organization side is, what is this company all about? What are they really trying to do? Are they trying to sell more product? Are they trying to get more eyes? Do they need investors? Um, and all of that kind of swirls in my mind when I'm crafting how I'm going to approach the, the negotiation itself. And you talked, Steph, interesting a bit in, in the kind of the pre-discussion about extrinsic and intrinsic motivations. And I've not heard that talked about for a long time. Do you want to just oh, yeah. explain to listeners what that means? Sure, yeah. And that comes, a lot of that's uh, coming from, my husband is uh, an elementary school teacher. Ah. <laughs> um, teachers are very in tune with children's intrinsic motivations. What's motivating them as like, do they love to play sports and that's why they're playing it? Do they hate to do math? And that's why they're just trying to power through. So intrinsic is what is driving somebody internally and and what their um, personal motivations are for doing or not doing something. And then extrinsic would be, you know, do they like the glory of winning on the kickball field? Do they love the the praise that they get when they receive A pluses or or they get something, they get a lollipop when they're done. So a lot of that can be applied to adults in negotiations uh, across the board and, and daily daily kind of communications uh, too. It doesn't even have to be negotiations. So Absolutely. What it, the person across the table from me, uh, figuratively, because everything is remote and online yeah, now, yeah. but the person across yeah. the screen from me hates, absolutely hates with a capital H, any kind of negotiation, then I'm going to do everything in my power to make it quick and painless for them. Yeah. The person across the table from me has an intrinsic motivation to like, win and get it done, then I'm going to play ball. We're going to, we're going to yeah. play ball. We're going to have a good time doing it. So that's really what I mean by intrinsic. And then extrinsic is, of course, you know, do they get the kudos that they need internally or do they, uh, do they get that glory when they sign this deal? Yeah, exactly. So this is, um, if I'm paraphrasing, the extrinsic could be seen as being the way that others see them. Mm-hmm. Intrinsic is about the way that you see yourself inside. Absolutely. 100%. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And it's really important in negotiations. It's really, really important. I think you mentioned two critical topics um, about that extrinsic, intrinsic, but also the motivations of the individual versus the motivations of the corporation. Mm-hmm. Have you had circumstances? So I haven't written this down. We haven't discussed it, but I thought we'd ask it anyway. Um, yeah. Have you had circumstances where the motivations of the individual aren't aligned with the motivations maybe of their corporation? Yes, I have. (laughs) And what happens? Don't name the company or the individual, but just name the kind of scenario and what happened. Yeah, you know, I there's one, you had a guest on a previous episode and I related to her so well. Um, She was talking about one of her crypto clients that 
gone. It, it, it went by the wayside. The, the deal went by the wayside. And I was like, oh man, I wonder if it was the same client. Um, <laughs> I won't say the name, of course. No, no, no. But, um, no. Um, the individual was uh, very much a competitive spirit, which I can appreciate, but he needed to win the deal, air quotes, win the deal, um, when his entire team around him was very much in desperate need of the actual resources and talents of the agency. But he was so focused on, you know, the cost cutting, the effectiveness, writing in all of the success metrics and what would happen if any of them were to fail, um, that it, we, could, we, couldn't, we couldn't get there. It was, um, from our perspective, it was not, uh, it was an impossible task to fulfill upon. And ultimately, we got to a deal. This is my one and only example of a deal that I regret signing on behalf of my agency. But um, we got to a deal, but the writing was on the wall from, from the jump. Um, that his particular motivations, and he was the owner. He was the owner of the of the relationship too. Was not in line with what the organization needed or wanted, um, and his team said as much. And that puts us in a really hard spot, right? Because you're working with one and beholden to one individual, but really trying to service an entire org. And you know, it's like the definition of a pickle. <laughs> it's the definition. Of a pickle. <laughs> There's an advert in the UK at the moment, uh, which our son picked up, called Pets in a Pickle. And that would be agency and client in a pickle. Agency and client in a pickle. We were the pet in a pickle. That's, that's <laughs> uh, But yeah, no, I, I know the feeling well. A lesson learned the hard way, for sure. Exactly. And that's about, uh, I was talking to someone um, last week from a brand, who's a brand CMO. And they were talking about, you know, if the relationship starts off badly in the negotiation on one side isn't aligned um, internally uh, around their own objectives and their company's objectives, um, then you end up just in a bad relationship and it's never going to work out. Nope. And spotting it early and being able to walk away is really important. Oh, yeah. So, which leads me on to another question we haven't prepared because I like thinking, I, I think on the fly often. <laughs> okay. So... Having a BATNER, so this best alternative to a negotiated agreement. So people mm -hmm. listening, you always have to have an alternative so that you can walk away. Right. How do you maintain strength of your ability to walk away psychologically so you can go, you know what? You know, if you replayed it, that deal's going to be a bad deal. And although it's a valuable client and a really interesting project to work on or retainer, we're going to walk away from this one because we've got alternatives. How do you maintain that um, that strength of alternatives? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that's a learned skill set. I think it's a hard skill, and I think it's learned over time. Um, I think you have to walk through or dredge through the mud of one bad deal to know what it feels like to want to never have to do it again. Yep. So I think that that comes with experience. And I think that for me, um, me personally, I, the two things I rely on heavily to maintain my kind of psychological sanity, if it starts to feel that way, is my gut. Um, gut will tell you first. And uh, a core group of colleagues that you 
are that are just your sounding board that you go to, you say, this is what's happening. You lay it all on the table, the good, the bad, the ugly. You lay your your pros, your cons, where you've maybe had a snafu or you just lay it all on the table and then you kind of pick it apart together and see if it is salvageable or if it's if you need to go with your BATNA and and ultimately if you need to walk away. I think those so are the how two. do you, I mean, this is probably quite pertinent right now, given the position that, you know, the, the beautiful position you're in of having another child, um, yep. but you won't be there. So your team won't have yeah. your you know, many, many years of commercial support. So how do you transfer those um, those experiences, those skills, that ability to be able to know when to walk away? How do you um, empower, reskill your team to do that? Yeah, it's hard because I have a death grip on it, admittedly. I love, <laughs> it's hard to, it's hard to free those reins. Um, I think that comes with time. Uh, as well. And that comes with observation. So my team is very involved in all of the, all of the negotiations that we're working on together. I may be meeting, but I might, might be consulting with three, four, five producer and business directors from my team. So they're seeing it all in action. And the hope is that the skill sets transfer, that the, that they feel confident in their ability to uh, make those decisions on the organization's behalf and also trusting their own gut and also using that core team of, you know, colleagues across the organization as that sounding board. So really just kind of teeing them up over time to step into that role, which they hopefully have seen and observed and and know how it operates. And then the safety net of of the the people that, yeah. that can give them the advice. Which, I mean, you've just described a very classic uh, skills transfer model, which is the theory goes, and I've done the same thing in the past as well, is that um, you start by someone observes you, observes you so they mm-hmm. watch you doing something, then you do it together, then you watch them and coach them. And that three-stage process is a very effective way of transferring skills to other people. And it sounds like that's exactly what you've done. Great. I love that that's a theory that out of a book. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> yeah. I also think that as part of that too, it's it's important for me, for my team to see failure as well. So that I think is more, more beneficial in my absence so they can see the failure come. If there is something coming, um, they can go, oh, I remember when Steph really like, you know, effed up that crypto deal. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I think that, yeah, that is that is a good working model. Because stories um, are a great way of, I mean, for since uh, humankind began, mm-hmm. yeah, we learn through people telling us stories and learning from stories and learning from, I've learned the most from my failures uh, rather than my successes. Um, so I think that's a really important lesson. You mentioned something in the notes before um, about um, knowing when it's important to trade maybe some of the negotiation variables in exchange mm-hmm. for the longer-term relationship and how important that can be, getting that balance right. Do you want to just yep. talk a bit about that? Sure. Yeah, I think um, I think a lot of, in my early experience with negotiating deals on behalf of my teams and my clients, I, the, I think the objective early on is to get it all right up front. Get yeah. every detail on the paper, get every T crossed, every I dotted, Make sure that everything is encompassed, every 
contractual clause is absolutely absolutely happy. all the schedules are all neat and tidy everything every, to the day to the dollar and as i have grown in my in my negotiating kind of skills or philosophies i think a lot of that is it's great if you can get as much of that on paper then great but so much about it is establishing that relationship and establishing the longevity of that relationship so some will come to me and say, I, I have a three-month project. It's a quick sprint. Got to get something, you know, done and out the door. Great. Cool. Easy peasy. Some clients come and they have big abstract, we need a percentage of a dedicated team over the course of who knows how long. And those are the instances where I think giving a little on the details, you know, still making sure that contracts are structurally sound. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That, Good governance. Yeah. Yeah. Making sure, but uh, some of the, let's get it on paper so we can get the ball moving so we can figure it out. Uh, that is where I will, and my BA leads will probably, you know, jump on me once they <laughs> That is where <laughs> things can get a little more abstract. We know roughly what we need. We know roughly what you need. Let's get it on paper so we can get the get the wheels in motion. And then... These days, I don't think any contract is, or any contract or any scope or any agreement that is put on paper is not amendable. Um, so it's really just a starting point. Like the, the negotiation itself, there's, there's so much work up front before I come in to actually kind of set the negotiation. So much work has been done on the communications and the new relationship building that I must respect that work enough to not be the bottleneck when, when it gets under brass tacks. I also must respect and acknowledge and, and beholden to the team that actually has to fulfill on the work. So I, I need to play a little bit more of a, a looser role than, than just like signing, dot, you know, signing on the line and making firm stances because so much is, has already been done before and will be done after. So I think that there is room to, if a client is really unsure that they, you know, need this percent of a dedicated resource, or if they want to go the full 12 or 18 months on the, that is something I'm more than willing to negotiate and figure out later down the line, because it's like, like some of your past guests have said, it just sets up the relationship for more of a trust-based, hand-based, collaborative relationship moving forward. Exactly right. And I've been, I'm, as you know, Steph, I've been a, I've been a, a procurement buyer. So I've been a mm -hmm. buyer for private equity-backed companies. And, you know, I think if I look at some of, you know, hopefully most of my deals were relationship and, um, and substance of the deal. But I think um, when you're driven towards a savings target, you know, it's, it's too easy to sacrifice a relationship because, I mean, I've got one example in my mind where, you know, the client's putting enormous pressure on us to deliver a savings target. And mm -hmm. to change the commercial dynamics at the right. expense of the relationships, um, they're really hard negotiations to drive through. So yep. I think getting that balance right is really important. Yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree. And I, like I said, I think it, there, there's, it's not an undervaluing of services. I would never do that to my team or, no. or, uh, you know, even the perception of that from from my clients and my buyers. But uh, it's not an undervaluing. It's a it's a teeing up and a standing up of the relationship so that we can discuss it when it feels a bit firmer. Yeah. Um, but yes, definitely. So um, 
just before we close off this question, we'll move on to kind of like the 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 economic situation we find ourselves in right now in kind of March 23. What signals do you look for where this kind of like this theoretical zone of possible agreement, the ZOPA that people talk about and that write about? Um, and it's great theory, but in practice, how do you know if you're within the zone of agreement across all the different variables? Is it again, is it really a, a kind of a gut instinct or is it a more rational written down, I can tell when we've hit the boundaries? What, what's your experience of that? Um, I think the I think the Zopa is a magical place. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's Nirvana. A, That's right. Yes, where it, everything's lovely. Yes. Sometimes it is a fantasy place because you don't know where maybe clients, maybe your prospective clients don't even know where they're at. Um, a lot of our a lot of our business is from word of mouth. So they're old, they're old clients that have taken us to their new roles or their new, completely net new clients that have come to us from existing clients. So they're coming to us and they're like, we don't know what we need. We don't know what we want, but we heard you guys were really great. And so that's, that's like a nice place to be, but they don't know what we want. They don't know their budget. They don't know their scopes. So a lot of it, a lot of what I try to do is get a sense of where their, where their zone, Put tee up their own zone for them, exactly where we can play. And I, I think a lot. I think most of it is it boils down to uh, unsurprisingly prep. It's just preparation. So I know what my base minimum is for what I think is necessary to get the, whatever work they may need done. Um, and then I and then I can grow from there. I can have options. I can build upon that base with people, with services, with, you know, uh, all sorts of added value kind of tacked on. And that, I think that really has helped with uh, setting trust early with new clients too, because I can give them a range and then they can say, oh, okay, this is the range I'm actually in. And that's the best case scenario is when a client tells you what they're, what they're, where they're operating. And then I can say, this is where I'm operating. And then we just have an open conversation um, where it gets hairy is when somebody knows their budget. You know, we again, some of your previous guests have said it. When somebody knows their budget and they don't want to tell you, or they know what they need, but they they want you to figure it out, it is dance and it is a game, and it feels a little icky. Um, <laughs> and it's I'll play I'll play ball because I, I like like I said, my intrinsic motivation is I love it. I love the yeah, chase. Yeah. And I love you I enjoy love, the game and you're I, good at it. I do. I love the debate and I love the the back and forth, but some people, uh, you know, rightfully so, are just like, tell me what you need and I'll tell you how much it will cost. <laughs> you know? um, but, you know, when somebody tries to really hold their cards super close to the vest, it is yeah. a, it's an early flag for me. Yeah. Because um, there is a limit. I mean, I, I, and I'd agree with you, again, as an ex-buyer, I'd often right. range a supplier. I mean, I'd use the anchoring techniques and the counter-anchoring techniques, right. but I'm expected to. That's my job. Um, right. But um, yeah, I'd be laying down markers because I'd right. rather find out early on. If we're a mile apart, then let's not bother wasting each other's time. Those are my favorite relationships. Those are my favorite conversations. A lot of those are in my in my startups and my very small businesses um, that are coming. I say, this is what it would typically cost. They yeah. say, wow, can't even fathom that at this moment in time. But then they come back two years later. Exactly. We've bolted a few times on things. They've over done the a capital raise. You know, 
done yeah. some rounds, and all of a sudden we're back in we're back in biz because back in the built, game. Yeah, exactly. and they're, it's very much. I, I love those conversations because they're open, they're transparent, they're honest, and you you know you don't have to swirl. Exactly. So let's move on to the kind of the the other question that we talked about. Um, so obviously we're recording it in this in March twenty three. Uh, we're all globally in the eye of a, a global economic storm and lots of other horrific events happening in the world. How's this impacting your negotiations now? And how are you managing those tough discussions with clients? Yeah, um, just a light question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, an easy, you know, off-the-cuff yeah. answer stuff would be good. Yeah. Toss up. Um, <laughs> it is... Admittedly, it is difficult. This is the first year I've, I've been with my agency, my current agency, Hook, for almost nine years. And this is the first real year where I have taken a step back and reevaluated some of my tactics on getting, getting scopes through and considering them success. It's, it's a weird place to be at transparently. I, I don't think that that, I don't think anybody would disagree. It's also, it's hard. Personally, it's hard to balance the short-term with the long-term vision. Um, so that is something that I'm struggling with. You know, we, we spoke a, a bit about uh, a, a contract that I would have in any other scenario probably walked away from <laughs> uh, is one that I'm keeping open and active, that, you know, still, still very much um, making sure that it feels right for the organization. But uh, one that I would have walked away from previously, I'm still considering on the table and, and trying to approach with more empathy that I maybe would have before. Yeah. Um, because the economic reality has changed. It has changed. It has changed fundamentally, I think. A lot of our clients are tech, fintech, big tech. So layoffs and... And for anyone but, listening, we recorded this 21st of March. Literally at the yeah you know, last week, Silicon Valley Bank went down. HSBC yep. took it over, and Credit mm-hmm. Suisse went down and was bought by UBS, I think. Yep, and a lot of a lot of the mid mid sized banks in the US too are being uh, I'm doing air quotes bailed out by yep. the large too. So to you know to stop that kind of tailspin from happening, um, it's a it's a wild it's a it's a wild time. I think that the Luckily, the big the big tech companies that we work with, we have weathered the storm alongside of them. Um, the the smaller ones, we had some clients that were impacted by the SVB news, uh, so we're trying to figure out very quickly if there were going to if we needed to shift gears, if we needed to, um, you know, make alternate there exactly. Um, and it's just it's a different. It's a different approach, I think. There, there's obviously a need for revenue in the agency. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Revenue. Yeah. Uh, but there is also a need to be incredibly deliberate about how we're going about um, finding that new business, making sure that there's, you know, financial security or viability in the clients that we're taking on. Now, that's something that I hadn't actually thought about before, <laughs> which wild to admit, but... Um, you know, are they are they financially viable? Do they have a service or a product that we can see long term? You know, long vision. Long-term needs for yeah. Long-term needs for if the investment up front will be will be uh, worth it 
over yeah. the time. Um, is their investment going to carry them through for the next 18 months? Right. What's well, they their have cash burn like? Yeah. What, yeah. What is, what is all of that? Uh, what does all of that look like? So those are considerations that, um, I hadn't really taken into account as actively as before. Something else that I have been thinking about is diversification of the types of businesses that we're getting in, because not all sectors, not all, you know, product and service verticals are being affected. So trying to think about other, you know, we're predominantly in tech uh, or, you know, products and services related to tech that are rooted in tech. What are some other areas that our skill sets would be transferable to? Should we go out with them? Um, so really kind of like diversifying our client roster a bit too. I know that there's been talks of that. Um, I mean, something around that contracting in this environment, uh, having been through, I think I worked out this is my fifth recession that I've lived through. Um, <laughs> and there are patterns, clearly. Um, <laughs> but the last big one, obviously, is 7-8. Um, if I look at what happened then and what's happening now, Anyone listening, and this isn't for you, Steph, maybe this is really for the audience because you've probably been here and done this, I suspect. But one thing I would advise is where you're being uh, encouraged by your existing clients to change commercial terms midway through a contract, change your pricing model. I think, as you said, within limits, that's a negotiation you can open up. The thing I'd recommend is uh, contractually commit it to being a short-term change. Yep. We will change our commercial model up until September 2023. After mm -hmm. that point, the model reverts back to where it was as per the contract. Because what I saw happen in 2007-8 was a lot of renegotiation of contracts happening on commercial terms. This race to the bottom, but there was no out at the end of it. Right. So you ended up in these horrific situations as, as suppliers, partners with your clients, where you'd had a 15% rebase on all your commercials but there was no route out to get back to where you were. Right. And then your client is making super normal profits at your expense. And that's right. wrong. Right. That is uh, very much how I would agree. I would agree with that. That's very much how I operate too. And we we spoke a bit about it, but I am, it, regardless of the economic environment, there's something that just doesn't sit right with me about discounting um, for discounting's sake. Exactly right. For, for reducing costs. Because there's then, from, from, my, from a buyer's side, from my client's side, I, it begs the question, why wasn't it there to begin with? Or well, what, am I, what am I being charged? Whether it's real, real or perceived, but why am I being charged a premium? This, in fact, this is the actual cost. And like you said, it's a ta it's a it's a negotiation point. If those uh, those large contracts are in, if I'm in fear of those potentially going away, I would as a last resort. But I I just think that the value the value recession or not real or not the value of the services that agencies bring to brands is not a it's not a discountable service exactly it's not a commodity times right it's not a commodity you're right so we're almost at the end of our time because i said oh. we'd finish at 3:45 and we're about 2 minutes away so steph um just kind of like a couple of things if you were talking to other agency leaders or cmos um and you had a couple of things that you were saying 
the big things that you've learned about negotiations that you'd pass on to people. What are those kind of couple of things in summary? Oh, great question. I think those things in summary, if I was talking to my CMO clients or or my my marketing clients, is just let us in. Let us in on your needs. Let us in on not only what's working because we know what's working because you tell us, but let us in on what's not working. Let us try to help. Let us try to support. Um, and in the negotiations, we can write those objectives into the deals. And that's how we should be doing it to begin with. Yeah. And the the tips and tricks are just open and honest communication. Like, I think that's that's really what it is. It, it's so simple and so boring, but <laughs> it's... It's all about the partnership and the paperwork and the details of the actual deal itself. They become irrelevant over time because we're we're working on something real and tangible and impactful together. So like what we're doing at the round table when we're, you know, making sure that everything is on on paper and the contract is is sound, it all kind of it becomes second priority and that's really where I think the fun is, is after, after the deal is signed, after the contract is done, what, where we go from there. And I really, I, I like to shift focus to the actual work pretty quickly. Yeah. Brilliant. And uh, that's something else I've picked up, um, just making a few notes. I think that, that thing you talked about around intrinsic and extrinsic motivations for both the person and for their business, for their corporation they're working for, I think those are really, really key. And that extrinsic, intrinsic, I think, yeah, that's a really interesting point that I've not really thought about in enough depth before. Awesome. Well, you can thank the fifth grade teacher husband. Thank your husband for the insight. (laughs) So, Steph, before we sign off, first of all, obviously, congratulations on um, hopefully your newborn very, very soon. It didn't happen in the podcast show, so. It's not. Unfortunately, we did not make history in this podcast. We didn't make history, no. But But. (laughs) I'm sure it'll be soon. Um, Steph, uh, just where can people find out more about you? Uh, LinkedIn. I'm very behind the scenes. Despite uh, my extroverted voice, I am very, very shy. But LinkedIn only. Um, and my uh, agency, you can find at byhook.com, B-Y-H-O-O-K.com. Um, and on social media. We're, we're across social media everywhere. By Hook or Hook Not The Movie uh, is our, so- our Instagram. Hook Not The Movie. Very good. Steph, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you ever so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Drum Podcast series on Negotiation Insights with your host, Mike Lander. Please subscribe so that you'll catch the next episodes from our global marketing industry experts.